Welcome back to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast, where experts and leaders in the wide world of IT discuss the industry and hard-earned career wisdom with your host, Barry Newkirk. Today's guest is Raymond Gray. Raymond has spent more than 30 years using his personal and career experiences to help his clients create solutions that support their business needs in systems modernization, systems conversion, and strategic planning. As the son of a retired New York City prison warden, Raymond knows the value of discipline and integrity. While his focus is on computer technology, he also provides business consulting services for process improvement and governance. Raymond received his education at the Darla Moore School of Business at the University of South Carolina and holds BS degrees in management and management science. He is currently a consultant in Columbia, South Carolina, where he lives with his wife and children. So we're very happy to welcome Raymond Gray, uh, a great uh, friend, collaborator, and colleague to uh, our podcast. So uh, we're very happy to have you today, Raymond, on Tech Leaders Talk. So welcome. Thank you, Barry. Always good to be able to sit down and talk to you, man. And so let's just start at the beginning. Tell us how you grew up, uh, how you got started in tech. What was the start of your journey? I was born and raised in New York City, true and true city kid. So uh, my first introduction to tech would probably be the standard video game scenario way back in the day. And uh, I took my first programming class as a senior in high school and absolutely fell in love with it, always been a logical kind of person. And so that kind of fit me to the T. So uh, I figured once I determined that I did want to go to college, I figured that was the route for me. So uh, that's how I kind of got interested in in technology in the first place. So you mentioned video games. So I was, uh, I have a, my favorite video game is um, not Pac-Man, but it was like uh, Phoenix where you shoot the little, uh, alien ships out of the thing. What was your favorite video game? I was killer and, and Miss Pac-Man. <laughs> Love Miss Pac-Man. So you graduated high school in what year? Just to make sure I'm tracking with you. Okay. So I graduated high school in 1982 and, uh, immediately came down to university of South Carolina to, uh, become a game cop. So you said you took a programming class in high school? Yes. That is shocking to me. Data cards and everything. Well, I told you I'm from New York. Yeah. And well, I, I went to school, as you know, in South Carolina. We didn't, we didn't have that. Well, it, we didn't have that at the high school that I went to. Did you want to take that class? I'm curious about the genesis point of that. Was that just a easy class to take as a senior? No, it was, um, I don't know exactly how I gravitated to that class. I just know that once I got in it, it was really, really an eye-opening experience for me. So I'm not mm. quite sure if that was part of my senior requirements or, or my um, counselor steered me towards that class. That's but interesting. Whatever the case is, I'm glad I ended up in that class. So you left New York, came to South Carolina, University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks. Did you, have a, did you get an IT degree from USC? Yes. Okay. Yes, school degree, management science. And uh, so management science is basically computer science without the math, without all the math. And uh, <laughs> so I got the dual degree management. So it's from the business school. Hmm. Awesome. So it's a computer science degree through the, the business school, basically. And how did you pick USC? I mean, you're from New York City. Um, there's, you know, a zillion great 
higher education academic opportunities up there with amazing colleges and universities. How did you pick University of South Carolina? Well, a couple different things. So I'm, I'm a big Mets fan and the Mets had a player by the name of Mookie Wilson who That's had right. gone to the University of South Carolina in the 70s. So yep. I knew they had a great baseball program. I was a former baseball player in my younger days. So that was one of the reasons. And then my, my uncle lived down on John's Island and he had tried to get me to come down for, for college. And he, he pointed me towards Citadel mm-hmm. and the University of South Carolina. So anybody who knows anything about me knows that my mother was a prison warden and the last thing I needed was more discipline. So that immediately ruled out the Citadel. <laughs> so you went to USC. Tell us what kind of work you do now. So currently I am doing some work for uh, Department of Health and Environmental Control. I am their chief, I guess you would say, technical, technical lead with regards to dynamics. So we're just developing all kind of cool apps for the state of South Carolina. We just released a hurricane management app. My team has overview of the the two COVID apps that are running for the state. We're in the process of developing some more cool internal apps. So uh, right now I'm doing a lot more tech lead stuff, tech management stuff, as opposed to the project management and program management that I've done over the past 10 to 15 years. And your team today at DHEC is pretty wide ranging. Um, You have folks all over the country. Is that right? Correct. There's only three of us here in South Carolina. I have a couple of folks up in Jersey. I have a gentleman out in California. I have another gentleman in Dallas. So we are a dispersed team. As part of your background, I mean, you and I met when you were CIO for a state agency. Tell us a couple of uh, couple of the places that you've been as um, CIO or IT leadership, Raymond. Uh, primarily, I have I've worked at um, Revenue Department of Revenue. I've been at uh, as full time. Those are my two my two full time positions would be at the uh, Department of Revenue and the Department of Juvenile Justice, where you and I both met. Mm-hmm. Everything else has been on a contract basis. And you were also CIO for um, the golf course uh, network, right? Yes, that was uh, oh, that was an awesome that was an awesome project there. That I, was fun. So what I want to tease out there for the listener is that um, Raymond doesn't hold the title of CIO now, but he's had it three different stints as. Um, a chief information officer for various organizations and uh, which we, we will get into in a few minutes is the pivot point of the kind of work you're doing now, which is taking all that experience and then offering that as an additive to uh, DHEC and, and your other clients. So um, let's switch for a moment into a different gear, Raymond. Who are your mentors as you are coming up? Obviously, my primary one would be my mother. She's very influential on my thought process and and things that are important to me. Uh, being an athlete, obviously, some of the coaches that I've played for over the years have stepped in that gap as well. And um, I think professionally, it was a gentleman who brought me into the Department of Juvenile Justice who probably had the most to do with um, 
my leadership style and, and ability, my leadership abilities. He really helped cultivate those for me. And his name's Ofa Dillahay. Yeah, Mr. Dillahay. Yeah, I remember him. You mentioned your mom. T- talk to us about your mom a little bit. Paint that picture for us and, and why she uh, had such an impact on you. Well, my mom, this classic single parent story, it was my sister, my mother, and myself. So, you know, the three amigos, we were very, very tight as a family unit. And, you know, growing up in, in the Bronx, which is not the best borough to grow up in. Um, I didn't grow up in what you would call a hellhole, but, you know, I, I did experience, see and experience things that probably, you know, young, young kids shouldn't. So again, having a mother who was, you know, she worked her way out of poverty and, you know, obviously wanted better for my sister and myself. So she worked for the city of New York. She was, like I said, she worked in the prison system. And she had, you know, risen up the ranks to become the first female warden of a men's prison, which, you know, was wow. an accomplishment at the time. And uh, so she was very influential. She was very no nonsense. She was uh, she was very she wanted to make sure that my life was better than hers and that I was able to you know get to places that she maybe didn't get to. I think that's a great uh, picture of what every parent wants for their kids is, hey, I want, you know, regardless of where we are, I want you to have better than I had and uh, more options and uh, choices and those kind of things. So uh, kudos to her. That's awesome. Yeah, she is. That's awesome. She's the the quintessential push you forward mom. I see some of that uh, in you for sure. So um, let's go back to your so you started, you left USC, if I got this right, and you went to Department of Revenue in South Carolina there in Columbia as a programmer. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So tell us about a transition or a pivot point that moved you into leadership from being an individual hands-on contributor into the leadership space. As you know, as you, the better you do, the more you get to do, so to speak. And so, you know, I was I was a pretty good developer, programmer, whatever. And, you know, I kept moving along and, you know, responsibilities grew. And so I, you know, got to be the lead programmer and, the, you know, that type of thing and just started moving up the ranks. And then I found myself at a, you know, a local insurance company and felt like I had kind of maxed out my, my ability to uh, climb. Mm-hmm. So I was probably, you know, step below middle management and kind of bumping my head against the ceiling, so to speak. And uh, had a had a faithful meeting, a fateful meeting with uh, Otha Dillahay. Just happened to meet him out on the golf course and we got to talking and he asked me what I did. And I told him and he was like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm deputy over at. Department of Juvenile Justice, and I'm looking for a, an IT director or CIO. And I was like, well, you know, that's not really something that, because at that point, I still was really, really close to the technology, and that is my true love. So I, I do like the actual nuts and nuts and bolts of the technology, but um, he helped me expand my, my horizons and, and made me think differently. 
So um, I went to talk to him and I interviewed with him and, and the director for the position. And they saw something in me that maybe I didn't see myself. That was, uh, that was a turning point for me because I, I feel like that took me out of the very small thinking that, that maybe I was in and, and gave me a, a much grander view of, of business, technology, and most importantly, people. That's quite a jump to go from a hands-on programmer, probably a senior developer, um, to uh, IT director, CIO. That's, did, you, did you understand that was a big jump at that point in time, or did you just roll with it? I didn't understand the true nature of the jump because while I, in my previous, um, previous engagements, I did have access to higher levels of management and I did, you know, speak and, and give, I guess, reports and, and statuses to, to those type of folks. I didn't understand the true nature of having to have a whole department under me and, and to make department decisions and, and budgetary mm -hmm. decisions and, and those type of things. Do you remember how many folks were reporting to you when you became the IT director at South Carolina Juvenile Justice? Uh, yeah, well, it was a small department. It was, it was less than 20. It was probably between 15 and 20 folks. Yeah. And then while I was there, it grew some more. So probably by the time I left, it was about 25 folks. You know, one of the themes is in that we find in talking to leaders across the country, Raymond, during the, doing this podcast is the um, theme of relationship and proximity yes. is, you know, um, having a relationship, being able to create a relationship uh, with somebody, but also being in, a, in the right place at the right time, for lack of a better term, is uh, is something that we hear every time pretty much that we do this podcast. So. You left state government and went to uh, T-Links down in Myrtle Beach, um, and that was your first foray as a private sector CIO uh, IT leader. Can you explain kind of the situation that you walked into and the larger project that was that was at hand there? So T-Links is an organization that um, they tie business units together. So just to give you a, a quick overview. So the hotel industry, the golf packaging industry and the golf course industry all work together to provide, obviously, golf to the Myrtle Beach and greater area. So what this project was, was they had some ancient technology. I think uh, they were running off a, a mainframe that was, I don't know, 25, 30 years old. And they wanted to be more flexible and scalable. They wanted to move into being able to offer some things on the web. So they brought me in to kind of oversee this rebuild. Um, when I first got there, you know, they they were housed in a a old Air Force base building down in the South Myrtle Beach area, not very far from the beach. Um, they had couple of servers sitting behind, um, I don't know what you would call it, bifold bi walls. And it wasn't even real walls. It was, the room wasn't air conditioned. It wasn't, you know, didn't have the standard server room set up. Um, they had a couple of machines that they backed up and, you know, they had a, they had a former employee who lived up in Pittsburgh and they had a backup server in her garage in Pittsburgh. And for, for the amount of of money that they ran through the system. 
it was not the type of setup that you would imagine. They needed it to go to the next level. So uh, I came in, um, I was charged with bringing in a team to help develop this new modern uh, scalable system that would be usable throughout the, the country because it actually they had not just Myrtle Beach area, they had the Ocean City, Maryland area, they had Biloxi, Mississippi, they had um, Atlantic City, New Jersey, they had a few courses in Bahamas, they had some courses down in Hilton Head, Charleston. So the, it was the Grand Strand Tea Time Network. However, it encompassed more than just the Myrtle Beach proper area. My understanding from that, I don't know if that this is correct, but I think I've been told that the current that uh, piece of software in that organization sold that piece of software. And I think part of that is used in the for the golfers out there is used in the Golf Now application. Um, that's what I've been told. That is correct. They um, maybe a year or so after I completed that project, they sold it to some big national company. Mm -hmm. And um, so that also that, that's also a proud, proud point for me. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty amazing project all the way around. The more I got involved, the more I learned and, and I developed the additional skills, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I think out of that environment came a lot of who I am today in terms of being able to deal with people. I had some, some, some pre-existing relationships that were, that predated me there that I had to navigate. And truth be told, I didn't always navigate those relationships as well as I should have. That was a, you know, a teaching point for me. That's kind of how I am. I'm always looking to better myself. And, you know, I'm not one of those individuals who think that, uh, you know, I got it all figured out all the time and, and no one has anything that of value to add to my story. I think that was a, that was a, big turning point for me. It gave me a lot more confidence in my ability because mm -hmm. again, that was pretty much my second real tech leadership position. And it was my first public sector, um, private sector rather. You know, when you work in the public sector, you always say, yeah, it's, it's this, but it's public sector. And, and sometimes there's not the value added to what a public sector job is. And so you still want to gauge yourself in the private sector. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first private sector leadership position. And so it, it did come with some, with some trepidation. Let me go back to a couple of value uh, questions. What is something when you were a younger professional Raymond that you undervalued that you value very highly today? Soft skills. Um, you know, as a young person, I just thought, if I was smarter than everybody else and, and could do the work, you know, faster than everybody else, then that was all I needed. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't really have the, the soft skills and the, the personality. Cause again, you have to remember I'm coming from New York city. So that's, a, that's a different, that's a whole different attitude, even in the workplace. And so I carried over some of those New York traits in terms of my ability to work with others and, and, you know, I hear one thing and somebody says something and, and, I, and then it, it means something else to me in, in terms of how I respond. And, and so uh, I, I didn't value the ability to speak to people um, 
I didn't value it as much as I do now. Let's flip that coin. What is something that you overvalued in younger in your career that you don't think is is as important today as you thought it was maybe in your 20s? So for whatever reason, as a young developer, speed was my, that was my thing. You know, I wanted to be the first one in class who finished the assignment. I wanted to be the first one at work who finished. You know, I was much more focused on speed. And now, you know, I've, I've realized, obviously, that measure twice and, and cut once. That's very valuable in the IT world. That's yes. very valuable. Looking back over the arc of your career, Raymond, what would you say is the your proudest professional accomplishment? The tea time one would be a close second, but my proudest would be the Scooby project. I, that was a very, very large project, very high dollar project. I was the program manager for that. So the Department of Labor gave the state of South Carolina, state of North Carolina and the state of Georgia, $50 million to rewrite their um, unemployment insurance benefit systems. Um, they wanted a single, a single system that served three states. Essentially, what they were trying to do is get out of having to give every state 10 to $20 million to replace their system. Right. So they wanted a, a, a base system that could then be taken from those three, three states and used in other states when other states needed to do modernizations. Hmm. So um, that was, and if you can imagine what I just said, that was, I dealt very, very closely with government in three different states. Although they are very close regionally, they are very different in culture and, and um, I guess, ways of doing things. Right. So I reported, you know, as, as the program person, I reported to all three states, I had to discern what information was consortium information versus, you know, individual state information and and so I had to walk a lot of fine lines in, in that process and had to keep, always had to keep two out of the three happy because that was the only way I could get fired, right? Is <laughs> you got to keep two of the three happy. Um, again, it, it, it really sharpened a lot of different skills for me. It, it introduced me to some really good people. Um, you know, I had been, I'm always, I've, since I've been in leadership, obviously I'm used to dealing with alpha per personalities. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you got alpha personalities spread across three different states, all seeking the same goal, trying to spend money out of the same pot, and then having to answer also to DOL for the work that was being done. So that that's my most proud. That's the proudest accomplishment because we were able to we were able to deploy uh, South Carolina in. I guess it was 2017. We deployed North Carolina 2019, and we we never did get to finish Georgia. They they backed out, so they had some some internal things on their side that they needed to to leave the project for. But um, we put in a a very good, solid, scalable, modern system in two states that allowed people to get paid on time and cut down on fraud and 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 again that was one of those situations where it wasn't just about making money mm -hmm. um, the project itself served the greater good for those two states and if you can imagine 
you know, people waiting 13, 14, 15 weeks for an unemployment check mm -hmm. and, and not having that be an issue anymore because there's a modern system that allows them to do their initial filing and get a, and get a check, you know, in a much more expedited time frame. So that, that was in addition to the, the professional things that it did for me, it mm -hmm. also helped folks in South Carolina and North Carolina, especially, yeah. especially with the pandemic. Yeah. I was going to say, absolutely. I mean, the timing of that was amazing. It was, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So those two states had really no issues with paying people, um, getting people their COVID money. There was not any additional um, coding needed to be able to get people paid. And uh, so, yeah, that. That's cool, man. People from the private sector coming into the public sector, they're not used to the understanding the impact sometimes of what their technology can do. And so when we're talking to somebody about <clears throat> child support, well, my parents were divorced. And so I was a child that my mom got child support. But we have a lot of folks who work on the child support system and you affect these hundreds of thousands, millions of lives. We we have folks that work on, um, you know, unemployment insurance. Even to this day, we have put people who work on that kind of thing who touch thousands of people every week in some fashion and Medicaid and Medicare and um, SNAP and TANF benefits and all those kind of things. And it, it's this huge mission mindset. Um, and uh, a lot of times, particularly in big corporations, you have the same kind of impact. But in government, you can touch people that um, are just everyday folks, you know, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And to, to your point, just real quickly, I, I had a conversation with. Um, so we had a, a vendor who was who was building out the system mm -hmm. and, you know, we were having problems with one of the States and, and, you know, he was like, Oh my God, these people, da da da. And so I, you know, I had a little sidebar with him and I said, listen, let me give you some uh, context here. I said, your, your company is a billion dollar company. You used to throw systems in every two, three years, and then you're on to the next. I said, well, these folks are replacing 20 and 30 year old systems. So for the next 20 and 30 year, they're going to be using this system that you throw in and that you're on to the next. I said, so you have to understand they're going to want what they want because this is their one chance. They're one bite at the apple and state government doesn't get capital funds like this to be able to, to rebuild true. systems. So when you're talking to somebody about what they need, you're thinking they're, they're talking about what they want. And they're trying to tell you what they need for the next 30 years because they don't have an opportunity to get another chunk of, of money to replace this system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people who I worked with on that project, they were at varying degrees or varying stages of this of their um, careers. So, you know, you had some 20 plus year state government folks who were going to be sunsetting pretty soon. And then you had some new state folks, you know, state employees who were going to be there with this system and watch this system for the next 20 years. And so that's, you know, as a as a service provider, you always have to put yourself in the other person's shoes because, yeah, yeah I put in systems and then 
I don't really think about them because now I got another system that I got to put in or I got another thing that I have to do. And this is their thing to do. Yeah. You know, if you don't look at it from their perspective, it's easy to get frustrated with, you know, well, why are they asking me about this and why are they taking too much time with that? And it's it's screwing up my timelines and my, you know, those type of things. But you really have to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, that perspective is huge. Let me let me uh, ask you a question that <clears throat> I wasn't planning on, but just dawned on me while we were talking. So you started as a programmer, got into leadership. Do you think your time and your initial training and experience as a programmer helps you as an IT leader? Absolutely. Um, again, being a developer requires a, a, a type of mindset, mm-hmm. but you can't. It's just another skill or another tool in the toolbox. So when I'm sitting in and maybe I'm sitting in a development meeting and I'm listening to folks talk about things and mm-hmm. and I, I got a clear understanding of what they're talking about. Or when somebody tells me, hey, this is going to take me three weeks to do this. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not, you know, I'm well, maybe I haven't developed in X number of years, but it doesn't take you that long to do this. So I've been able to have, you know, real conversations with technical folks as well as, and I like to consider myself a hybrid kind of executive because, mm-hmm. you know, as I was coming up, there is kind of two schools, right? So there was the the person who was super techie and couldn't talk to people. And there was, there was the, the other school where the people, you know, he could, I could talk to you all day long, but I can't tell you anything. <laughs> so I like to consider myself kind of a hybrid because I do speak to development, speak to the development people on their level. And then I'm also able to put together presentations and, and have conversations with folks who are not necessarily technical folks and and make them understand in layman's terms what it is, what issues, challenges or whatever we're facing and what we need from them in order to overcome those yeah, I, I think one of your superpowers is being able to talk to different people at, at, from different backgrounds and make them help help them to understand where things are. I, I've seen you do that in multitudes of ways, whether it's the boardroom or in a cube with uh, developers or a, a, a room full of support people or what have you. And I think that's a huge skill set. Uh, I think that's a huge skill set. Um, and I know from talking to clients that you've worked with, they love that. They, the executives at those organizations, whether it's private or public, they love the fact that, hey, I can I can sit down with Raymond and he can help me understand. I, I don't need to know the ones and zeros on this thing, but I, I can understand those pieces and he can communicate that to me. And that communication skill is critical. And I think that's been a, a massive part of your success, at least the part that I've observed. I agree. I think there's a, a level of humility that goes into each conversation. And, you know, again, I, I said it earlier, I don't know everything, nor do I need to know everything. However, you know, you have to be able to speak to people and you have to be able to make people feel comfortable and you have to be able to build alliances because there are opportunities that are missed that, you know, somebody has an opportunity to give you information mm-hmm. and them withholding information is not necessarily a, a fireable offense or, or something to that nature. However, right. 
if, if you build the right relationships, I just find that you get information and you get you get good, actionable information quicker if you have a, a relationship with the with the, the client or the individual or or whomever it is. As we uh, wrap up here, uh, let me ask you a little bit about your uh, thoughts on the future of technology. What are you what are your best guesses for the future of technology um, that you can see down the road? Obviously, I think there's going to be a huge push into robotics. I mm -hmm. think um, the workforce is going to be largely made up of, you know, people who build ro robots, people who, you know, maintain and service robots and people who, who develop concepts for robots. I think the I think the everyday Joe who's working on an assembly line or something like that. You know, I think that position is going to be a lot harder to find in the future. I right. think, um, you know, most things are going to move much more towards a technology base. I think, um, you know, just look at the news. You know, you see all, all of what's going on around the world in terms of, you know, war and things like that. I think technology is going to be used more for that as well. I mm -hmm. think, um, uh, you know, space. The more, you know, the more we build, the more we're going to build, you know, it's just layer on top of layer. So I think it's hard to say exactly. I think, you know, the automotive industry, I think cars are going to become so much smarter mm -hmm. uh, through technology. I think, um, you know, learning is going to be, you know, improved through technology. It's amazing. I was telling somebody a couple of weeks ago that it's amazing all the tools and apps and opportunities for education in whatever line of education, professional development, um, you know, academics, what have you. Um, I mean, people learn more off of their phone and masterclass and Ted and YouTube and all this stuff than, than I ever had access to in the first 40 years of my life. It's pretty, it's really, if you sit down and think about it, it's really mind blowing. It is. Um, what's your, personal growth, uh, personal development strategy, Raymond, what are some things that you do every day to kind of sharpen the saw? Well, one of the things that I always do is I replay every conversation, every interaction, and I'm looking for improvement. You know, sometimes they say, you know, you either win or you, or you learn. Well, I think it's opportunity to do both. You know, even when you're winning, you should be learning because yeah, you may have come out of it with a win, but at the end of the day, the wind could have come sooner. Mm -hmm. The wind could have been more satisfying. There's, there's just out of every situation is opportunity for growth. And so mm -hmm. I, I try to, you know, when I, when I get off the phone with someone in terms of work, you know, I replay the conversation, you know, did I, did I give them what they needed? How quickly did I give them what they need? That goes back to my old days. I, I still have a, a speed thing here, but you know, I understand, <laughs> I understand the, um, the need for, for making sure that the idea is, is well fleshed out or, you know, but I do want to give it to you in a way, you know, because the attention span is a lot less these days as well. So I don't, I don't need to talk to you for 20 minutes to tell you something that I could have told you in the first two minutes. What are you reading? What do you listen to? Right now, um, I'm reading this book called, and it's it's a golf related book, but it's 
It's called Every Shot Counts. And so that kind of what I as I've gotten deeper into the book, it's also shown me how it ties into my career and 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 business. And and essentially the book, the premise of the book is that, you know, one shot is no more important than the other. They all count. You need to take, you know, you need to give all of them the, the respect that is required of the shot. You know, it, it deals with percentages and how you pick the right shot and things like that. And it, and it goes back to business, right? Because there's a thousand ways to do things, but then there's also more, you know, the bang for your buck, right? Juice is the juice worth squeeze and, and all of those wonderful terms that people always use. But it's also given me some clarity in, in regard to maximizing each decision. So, you know, this decision gives me the opportunity to be, you know, 90% closer to my goal versus 40% closer to my goal. When I started reading it, I didn't, I didn't start with the idea that this was going to help me in my career, but it mm -hmm. absolutely makes a lot of sense and it ties a lot of things together for me. Excellent. Every shot counts. We'll uh, drop that uh, book notation in the show notes. So as we close up, Raymond, um, I appreciate you pouring uh, some wisdom and some of your career experience into our listeners uh, today. So thank you for doing that. How can our listeners um, learn more about you, your work, um, the kind of things that you're into? Where, where can they find you on the web or social or what have you? I'm on I'm on all of them. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I don't use it, but I'm on there. Right? I, have, I have kids, so I have to be on there. So I have Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, Snapchat, TikTok. Don't ask me. I don't know. I don't have any TikTok videos, but um, I'm on all of them. And, and obviously, you know, they can reach out to you. You know how to get in contact with me. We'll drop your uh, LinkedIn profile into the show notes as well. And, um, Raymond, I so appreciate the opportunity to connect with you this morning and have a, a good, uh, an old school, long conversation. Uh, I miss doing that and, um, I I'm so thankful. So thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Well, Baron, you know, anything for you and, and good luck with your podcast. I, I wish great things for you and Tracy and take care my friend. Thanks for joining us today on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Learn more about our show at techleaderstalkpodcast.com and follow us on social media. We are Tech Leaders Talk podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we're on Twitter at Tech Leaders Pod. Subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. And please share this episode with at least one person in your life who would benefit. Until next time, Tech Leaders, keep talking.